Welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson. This podcast is brought to you by Next and Agri, and we cover all things livestock through the amazing stories of the people that farm them, study them, or provide support to this exciting industry. At Next and Agri, we bridge the gap between farming, science, and innovation, and we really do live out our tagline of farming in our hearts, science in our heads. It brings me great pleasure to say this is our third season of this podcast. A huge thanks for listening in. We really do love playing a small part in your weekly routine. This season we are super excited to be launching the Next Gen Agri Hub, or the Hub as we refer to it. This is a place where our Next Gen Agri and our Head Shepherd communities can come together, share thoughts, share challenges, and hear directly from the team here at Next Gen Agri. If you haven't already, I really encourage you to check it out at thehub.nextgenagri.com. We're delighted that Allflex are again sponsoring the Head Shepherd podcast this season. The Allflex team provide a great service and a great product. And we really do enjoy our long-standing relationship with the Allflex team. Get in touch with the Allflex team for any of your tagging requirements. Righto, let's go with this week's episode. Welcome back to Head Shepherd. Really excited this week to have a good friend of mine who we've known each other for a long time, Jill. I was going to say Jill Burston, but Jill Hell. And Jill used to be Jill Burston. Welcome, Jill. Thanks very much, Ferg. So, Jill, um, I was going to cover a few things tonight. One thing we went to, we first met at, at university in Melbourne, and at that point you were studying ag science along with me. You've changed career a few times since then, but one thing I remember, Jill, is that you didn't have a lot of energy because you were busy rowing at the time. Tell us a little bit, a little bit about your rowing career. Uh, well, that actually started with um, looking at some pewter mugs on the mantelpiece at home, and uh, they were Dad's rowing rowing trophies. So when I went away to boarding school, they had a rowing program, so I put my name down. And um, uh, I started in year nine, and we live uh, in Benambra near Mount Hotham. So I used to ski, race in winter, but uh, this in year nine I did my ACL in my knee. So uh, that meant that I had a reconstruction and we started rowing in fours, but because of my injury I went into a skull. So rowing on my own and I enjoyed that because if I got injured or my knee hurt too much, I wasn't letting anyone down. So that worked well for me because that's a, I developed my skills in that area and then as I went through school and off to uni, I rowed for Melbourne Uni Boat Club and, and then the state team and then the national team and uh, went off to the world in Greece. So that was when I was sleeping in the library and maybe in lectures <laughs> and, <laughs> and you had to help me through my biochemistry prax because I didn't know what was going on. But uh, when you're a lightweight, you don't eat. Uh, you have to have a bit low body weight, so you don't eat a lot. Uh, so that made concentrating a bit difficult at the time. That's certainly a, a novel way to approach university is through starvation. Be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not optimal, not optimal. <laughs> But I guess we probably should mention the colour of the medal you brought back from that world uh, meet. Oh, yes. So uh, we walked away with a gold medal in a lightweight double skull. Uh, but the, probably the highlight was then we went off to the Greek islands for a week. So that was <laughs> a good celebration. And we could eat and drink as much as we wanted. So all was worth it. Yeah, some people will be happy with winning a world title, but they're having a good feed afterwards. Is, <laughs> <laughs> sounds great as well. And so on track to represent Australia at the Olympics, obviously representing Australia at, at the 
uh, international meet, but then on track to the Olympics until a rib had a different a different idea. Yeah, so um, stress fractures in especially lightweight women rowers is uh, reasonably common or was then a common injury. And I succumbed to that uh, in the Olympic trials in Penrith in Sydney. Uh, the closest I got to the Olympics was being measured up for uniform for the uh, shadow Olympic team. So if, you know, three people got injured, then maybe I had a crack. But uh, but that was still still pretty cool. And they all said, make sure you write a book in case you win a gold medal. But uh, <laughs> that wasn't really going to be an option for me. But that's all right. So then um, after that, I just ate and drank a lot because I could. And then <laughs> uh, we went to – then I started mountain biking. That was my new sport to be. Yeah, and I remember that well. So we went to uni together for four years and sort of didn't see each other for a while, but then I ended up in Perth and and you'd ended up in Perth. Uh, by that time, you were studying physio. You travelled over there to study physio, so you'd – Given up on an illustrious ag science career, um, but and then back at ag now. We'll get to that in a minute. But I do. I think I'm embellishing this conversation, but I do remember something along the lines of, um, "How'd you go today, Jill? Oh, yeah, it went all right. What was it? Oh, yeah, no, just the nationals or something like that with mountain biking. So you did again. Got to the top of that sport, did we? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, they. Um, I, that was the 2006. I think it was the Commonwealth Games year. So that was again. Um, I went to the nationals and they had a short course race so I was able to win that one uh but they also yeah obviously had to qualify for the Commonwealth Games doing the long course and uh my memory of being upside down of Blackberry Bush on the at Mount Beauty was the end of my (laughs) (laughs) opportunity for that so I mistook a corner and uh that was the end of that but anyway I enjoyed it and I enjoyed all the people and friends I made along the way and still we're getting a mountain bike park in Omeo actually so that's exciting to have that one near home and I think maybe people are starting to get the picture now that when you put your uh, your heart and head to something, you generally achieve pretty highly. You're very competitive and and pretty focused. And uh, in recent times, you've been applying that kind of focus back to sheep farming back at home. Yeah, and I think that's that's a part of it. The problem is you compete with yourself the most. And uh, <laughs> when uh, that phone call, I rang you up and I said, I'd, "We're not getting enough lambs. Is how can we fix that?" And uh, obviously, you have educated me in a lot since then but uh, that's a big part of it is looking at how you can improve all the time and <clears throat> we went from, you know, like 60% weaning rate to 129 in the first year and I'm like, oh, well, uh, that's going to be quite hard to reproduce. I found <laughs> we'll see how we go this year. But uh, no, it's, and that's the joy of it because there's so much. You can see that that's where the biggest gains to be made so I'm pretty excited about being able to do that and build the goals around that and as – uh, you alluded to so dad I came back to the farm in 2017 with, with um, Toby who I brought back from Perth I married Toby and brought him back and then two little boys who are eight and ten now and we moved back to the farm in 2017 and then dad got sick 2018 and passed away three months later so I was lucky to have had that couple of years with him learning as much as I could and uh, now with mum kind of get to take that on and it was really good because I'd had a conversation with him about you and about fat and muscle and maybe changing our genetics for the, the sheep and he was all on board and, he, and I said, oh, shall I just get a couple of rams? And he said, no, get as many as you need. Like if you're going to do it, do it properly. So that was really good to have his blessing with that and him being on board and I think that probably helped mum 
with the transition as well, knowing that decision or that movement had been made. Yeah, so that's that makes it easy to go forward and, and you think that he would be happy with how it's going and all the decisions that come with having more lambs and not even knowing how to grow grass over summer and <laughs> all the things, the positive things that come with that. Uh, they're all challenges and, and, and that's the beauty of it. There's always something to learn and, and progress to be made. So I'm enjoying that part of it a lot. Excellent. Yeah, you mentioned mentioned Toby. So you've you've done well in marrying a pilot. Last time I visited you, I got to fly into the into the farm, which is awesome. <laughs> and now and he just uh, got his uh, commercial pilot's license. So now did, that apparently means you can more easily hire planes and and whatnot. Not I don't think he wants to be a crop duster, but I think he wouldn't mind doing some <laughs> charters for the local guy. I think they crash too much for him the uh, crop dusters. But uh, no, so that's exciting for him, and it makes a big difference for us to be able to access places uh, more easily because of the distance. Yeah, so for those people that don't know Benambra, and there's probably a fair portion of people that don't, um, I don't know if anyone's ever watched, well, surely everyone has The Man from Snowy River, but that's the sort of country we're talking, childhood favourite movie of mine, and I'm sure many Australians, and all those people listening in the UK definitely find a copy of that, which is Probably quite dated now, but still a great flick. Anyway, that's the sort of country you're you're living in, which is kind of miles away from anywhere. <laughs> yeah, we we don't see ourselves as isolated unless you want to go somewhere, and then it's a couple of hours to the supermarket, or um, you know, like six hours from Melbourne and eight hours from anywhere good to buy Rams. But you know, like apart from that, uh, <laughs> we're pretty close. Like we have our strong community and the primary schools, and so we don't feel isolated in that regard. It's just when you look at you want to go to something that you realise it's actually quite a way. So like the other day, Toby went, took us up to the Tamora uh, air show, which was awesome. And, you know, it was like an hour and a half there and back versus six or seven hour drive. So that is the one of the beauties of having a pilot in the family. And definitely indeed. Yeah, yeah. So just run us through that farming environment. It's sort of, well, it's high country Australian style. So it is sort of snow prone and, well, bushfire prone last year, but but quite quite cold winters yeah we have a couple of snowfalls uh a year like often like in the old days they used to say it'd stay around for a couple of days but now often this it might snow in the morning and the kids are toboggan and then by lunchtime it's melted and but that can be like obviously play havoc with lambing and and that kind of thing and winters can be quite cold and wet we have three sort of parcels of land and one's more like you know native pasture pretty hilly and steep and we've traditionally run our weathers just for wool there uh then we have the main where the ewes live they're more native pasture plus improved pasture and then we have uh, angus cattle who live out uh they're surrounded by bush and it's a bit colder out there but has a later later summer so we have generally summer rainfall we can get through with that but 450 to 650 rainfall on average whatever you know depending on how we're going. The autumns aren't reliable, but the spring's reasonable. I guess fairly similar to high country New Zealand and that sort of rainfall on the fact that autumns don't always turn up, but the springs generally do. And... Yeah, and I think it's about seven. I think the township is about 700 metres above sea level. So your homestead's about the same level, is it, or your mum's yeah, homestead? Yeah, So you're now farming with uh, your mum, Alison, and I guess support from the, the boys in the, in the family? Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. So they're, uh, they can be very good farmers, but sometimes they're reluctant farmers. But no, they're good. And Toby helps. So Toby works full time uh, at the like a Alpine School for Leadership for 
year nine students and he helps out on the his days off so he tells me he has two full-time jobs but um he's invaluable uh as well as a partner in the sh- in the show so no it's it's going really well and, and mum's really open to new things and we've done lots of um improvements mostly thanks to you um like we bought some weigh scales i've got a sheep handler now just trying to move things along make it a bit safer and easier like we're not as strong to lift things so I've got a lifter on my ute so that makes it easier like just have to be smarter because we're not stronger yeah excellent and and you'll make up with your motivation what you don't have any strength I'm guessing I've seen how competitive you can be yeah yeah dad's work ethic has uh, rubbed off quite hard apparently I'm told by those around me excellent good good so the enterprise is fine wool and and beef Yes, and yep. some lambs as well. But yeah, well, that's a new. That's only that's brand new this this year, and because we're just getting rid of our breech wrinkle, really, just because we've stopped mulesing as of last year. So anything that's got too much wrinkle, we just have to sell. And this year we would have sold them earlier had I not clicked them. So we're going to shear them and then sell them. Uh, so there's lots of learning going on, like a little notepad that says this year, the next year, don't do that, etc., <laughs> etc. <cetera, et> <laughs> So and like when you ask an agronomist what to plant, and then they the crop's ready after you've went like after the calf sales when you actually wanted it before the calf sales. So I need to say when I want things to rather than just what. So I'm learning. Excellent, yeah, lots of learning going on, and it's fantastic. So tomorrow's shearing. So you'll be into is that everything shorn now? Yes, except for the rams. You'd be happy to know. Excellent, good. Yeah, so there's uh, the we'll start with the ewes, and then depending on how many we get through, whether they have to flip over to the weathers then go back to the ewes and then the lambs just because I'm supposed to be joining on the 1st of April, which is pretty tight. So we're going to try and get the ewes done before that so I don't have to push it back too much, but we'll see how that goes. Have you struggled to get shearers this year? Uh, Yes, because a new one, we just have local people, we don't have a contractor. So we have our normal couple and then the third one said he might be doing his PhD but he doesn't know when it starts and which is what I thought was impressive so of course to facilitate that um so then we've got a new a new person starting so that's good but yeah we just have a local team that come every year so we're pretty lucky like that yeah, cool so we have gone from what what are the numbers 60 something percent and then step what are the sort of three year winning percentages in the last three years oh, I think it went 60 75 129 yeah, so quite a step up and most people will be. What were the fundamental shifts that happened to get from 60% more lambs? What would you do differently? Well, I think feeding was obviously a big, uh, you know, because I remember standing there with the old stud master and said, oh, do you think I should feed them? Like this is it. So we used to, he used to come and class them like in March before in in February before shearing and I was standing there looking across the paddock and I said oh do you think I should feed them prior to joining he said no no they're merinos they'll be right and uh, I just have since decided that that was not right and uh, so we've fed them and obviously the genetics of getting more fat and muscle but they care about living because in the past they haven't Uh, so I think that's a huge (laughs) the hugest thing and I think even you said that you expected it to take another generation to get a significant result uh, so I look forward to that if that's what I already have after one one cross. So we can see how we go. But again, I haven't really got. I've got another year to realise these lambs that are on the ground now. So yeah, yeah. So a lot of just through feeding, it was condition scoring and 
separating out the skinnies and that sort of thing to get to hit your toe. Yeah, so we conditioned, yeah, so conditioned scored and made sure that I fed them through and I fed them through joining just to try and keep it going because it was a bit drier last year. And like we always separate uh, twins and singles and then I just made the mob smaller. as like I went subdivided another few paddocks and put more troughs in and and gave that a good crack. And we had a mob of triplets, which was uh, novel. We hadn't really separated them out before. So that, that all worked. I think we – and, we of course, uh, we had a mild season as well, which obviously helped. But we had – and I had more food, so we'd always separated them, but we never didn't necessarily increase the food on offer for the twins or for anyone. They were just they had they ran separately, but they didn't have more food available. So I think that was probably one of the big big factors. Yeah, cool. And so that was just temporary fencing to get those paddock sizes down, or no, no, they're permanent now. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah, cool. So one of the paddocks was pretty big, so that could have being subdivided and they didn't graze it properly like they just sat on top of the hill and didn't graze the bottom so I cut it in half so they have to uh, and then another one is a nicely sheltered paddock so we just cut that in half and so now it's um you know one side for triplets and one side for twins so it's just good to be able to shut some paddocks up a bit more than we have in the past yeah yeah no offense would definitely pay for itself quite quickly when you're subdividing paddocks down and I should be able to rattle those numbers off but I can't but there is some <laughs> good economics around that for how quickly you pay for them not only do you obviously in lamb survival but also in just grazing management as you've already covered but yeah but cool yeah I think it's a pretty impressive uh shift and in, in a fairly short period of time and yeah we're We've all got our fingers and toes crossed that you can back up this year and I'm not sure you'll get another thirty percent but you might as well give it a go. Well, we're going to this year. We're going to do the. We haven't done the campy vax before, so we'll do that for the maidens. And not that I have a heap of them, but just that can only help. Um, and the other thing was, I liked the in your masterclass you just had was about the um, some genotypes are difficult to get to condition score three. So I'm running with that because I think that's me <laughs> with my <laughs> older use. So uh, I'll do. Hopefully, they'll just perform regardless of not quite being there. Yeah, and I think that is, I mean, having been there once, it was, you were like the old genotype was quite a, would have been a sheep that was hard to get to condition score three. So having fed them well, you see how they respond. But yeah, hopefully as the genetics kick in, you'll you'll get both both those things working in your favour. Yeah, and that's it. And then this year we tried uh, we tried shearing at six months or the hoggets. And then they haven't, after six months, obviously they haven't got enough. They, they got 65 mils, but they haven't got enough for this shearing. So it'll end up being a three in like eight monthly, three in two years. So that's been a, like we tried it. It didn't, wasn't quite up to it, but that'll still work. It won't, we won't have ruined anything, but it was worth a try at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So in the last few years, there's been quite a bit of change going on and, and you learning the ropes and um, having had a, several separate careers in both sporting and um what 10 years as a physio or more than that yeah that's probably right like I was working for mum and dad three days and doing two days at the hospital which was really working five days with mum and dad and two days at the hospital and then when dad got sick I just stopped being the physio in town I really actually enjoyed that because the two days that I was working in the hospital I got to know the local community like I knew some of them already from when I was a kid but um, got to know you know lots of the different farmers and just general people in the community and I was able to ask all my farming questions to a lot of people from around the trap so I really enjoyed that that's probably the one thing that I miss about that now is you can be quite isolated in your own way 
uh, on the farm, but I enjoy it, so that's that's all good. COVID was not so bad for me. But uh, I think the changes that we've made have been pretty significant and I think you wisely told me that I can't change everything at once. So I think forward going forward now it's working out how to manage um, the country that we've traditionally put for weathers to grow wool. If we have these lambs, weather lambs that we can actually sell and make good money out of, then what am I going to populate that harder country with? And over time, how does how does that work? Well, obviously there's a limit to how many ewes we can run on the main farm and but then again, with this new, like a new genotype, maybe you can run more because they do better on less or manage better. So that's that's all all ahead of us and all learning that is needed to be done. And then how to manage the lambs. And normally we carry the lambs through from, so we lamb in September. We carry them through to shearing in March or end of March, and then the, where the lambs go up to the harder country and the ewe lambs we sort of look after so now if we have some to sell then how many of those as a percentage do we hold on to for wool and how many do we sell and then which ones like at the moment it's quite easy because we just anything that's we just score one two three for breech wrinkle and if you're a three you obviously if you go to sale but I don't know how that goes long term so there's lots to to work through to optimize that I think the biggest learning for me is like I always was interested in the the animals and the animal husbandry, but I haven't really got a good handle of the business side of it. So like even today I was talking to the accountant about the new accounting software that we've just started using and so I have to learn that because a family farm hasn't been sort of run as a business so I have to learn, I'm trying to learn all that part of it as well and I think you can get overwhelmed in there's everything to learn about everything. So that's been the challenge for me is to not get too overwhelmed and just get on the basics and obviously I I do what I like. We all do what we like the most. <laughs> so the sheep and the cows have got lots of attention and the book le- work less so. But um, And, you know, learning, maybe you can outsource more things, maybe working out who to talk to about what. You can, there's lots of people out there willing to give you advice, but which advice is really the right ones for you. And it's difficult to find the people that you want to learn from. And I think that's what I love about the Head Shepherd and your community is that they're all – positive and all looking to improve themselves and drag other people along or you know help each other along and that's a really positive thing and I probably need to find that similar thing in a in a business and then maybe for the cattle as well so that's the challenge um but maybe as you say I don't need to change everything in one go just keep on <laughs> keep on learning a bit at a time and uh and consolidating on what on what's going on at the moment because it's pretty exciting and I think there's there was good big change to be made in the lambing and that's if we can actually consolidate that and make it more permanent as a expectation rather than gee I don't know if that was a fluke that'll be interesting to see yeah hopefully hopefully it wasn't well no it can't have been a fluke no flukes happen in biology but one of the things that's great about you having you in the community jail is that your willingness to ask questions and as you just talked about in your physio career that you yeah always asking questions what I think is I think is something that Sometimes people forget that people are very willing to, yeah, to answer questions and and just by being, a, I guess, you do expose yourself when you ask a question because you you often think that that's that's just dumb question and someone should someone will think that you don't know enough but mostly or well, always someone else has got the same question just not willing to ask it so yeah appreciate the fact that you just keep asking those questions and trying to find out the answers. Oh, well, you're welcome. But that's one of the things I think that I find is because you ask questions, sometimes people assume that you don't know anything, but sometimes you're just asking the opinion of how they do it to 
yeah. whether you compare or you're just wanting to do, have different ideas of, of how to do the same thing. So sometimes, as you say, you can expose yourself because people can sometimes assume you don't know, but that's, will, that's a risk I'm willing to take because you obviously get more, more out of asking the question. Um, and yeah, I'm not very good at keeping quiet <laughs> in your sessions. I'll, I promised myself this time I'm not going to talk, but I always find something to ask. Yeah, I keep talking. That's fantastic. The um, we need someone asking those good questions. Um, yeah, definitely. Is there any parallels between being top at your sporting game and top at farming? Is there anything that you sort of think that's that you've bought from that? those different worlds that you've been part of? Oh, I think um, like your goal setting, that's that's a part of it. And I think there's lots of things that I learned through sport. I remember going to like a sports psychologist and they, I said, oh, like I just can't, everything's spinning around, I can't hold on to anything. And they said like just it's like a big pot of vegetables in a soup and like just focus on like just grab one and deal with that and then get the next one rather than trying to deal with the whole pot at the same time. So I think... I think that's a big a big part of it is just having a like your little goals to go into your big goals, um, surrounding yourself with good people, positive people. Uh, that's that obviously comes across, and working hard. I think I enjoy that. So that's this farming works for me because <laughs> I like I like the work part of it. Uh, I like the physicality of it, uh, and I think just a continuous need to improve yourself. Yeah, you know, benchmarking is good for a lot of things but I think it, as you say it's about doing the best of your situation with your genotype or improving that that what you have yeah, to get to do what your goals in and if the goalposts move then that's okay but as long as you're still looking at them yeah no, fantastic thanks Jill it's uh, always great to chat and hopefully we'll get to do that in person sometime in 2021 but um, until then we'll just keep doing it on video conferences but you know all the best for scanning hopefully we're we're back at the same numbers and at the same wedding but yeah no, enjoy sharing and thanks for your time we'll talk soon no, thanks very much Ferg and, uh, and good luck to everyone out there with their farming for the year cheers thanks Jill well that's a wrap for another episode of the Head Shepherd Podcast many thanks for listening you've been with Mark Ferguson the Head Shepherd Podcast is produced by Sophie Barnes with support from Paula Gilton and a reminder to check out the hub.nextgenagri.com for all things livestock ask your questions and have your say and before we wrap this episode up, I really want to again thank our sponsors, Allflex Livestock Intelligence. A great company, great people, and a great product. So I encourage you to go out there and order those Allflex tags today so you can start recording more information and start breeding better and better livestock. Thanks for listening. Cheers.